Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. It's great to be back here. God is love, but there are things that God hates. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're in the middle of the upward journey, which we've been on for a while as a church, this, this series, this year is really taken up into three movements, the inward journey, the upward journey, and the outward journey. And so right now we're in the middle of the upward journey. We're going to spend the next couple weeks looking at things that God hates because in any relationship it's, it's crucial to know the, the, the likes and dislikes, the, the things that the people enjoy and the things that people really don't like. And so as, as, we, as we get to know God better, we need to look at the things that God hates so that we can look inside and say, well, well, where are those things manifesting in my own life? And where can I be conformed to the image of Jesus for the sake of others and for my own sake to look more like Him? And our, uh, our catch verse for this whole series is 2 Corinthians 3.18. That just says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in His image. So like a mirror, we look at Jesus and then we begin to reflect who He is. We behold Him and as we behold who He is, we we begin to look like Him in our character, in our actions, in our thoughts. Beholding in the glory of the Lord, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into His image from one degree of glory to another. That's the upward journey that we're on. Today we're going to look at haughty eyes. Now, I've made this joke in Kalamazoo and I thought it was funny. So when I hear, when I hear, actually as a staff we joked about it quite a bit last week. So when I hear haughty eyes, I think of the 1987 one-hit wonder, hungry eyes. And I thought it would be really funny if Pastor Mark or Pastor Cameron would do a parody on that song, but instead of hungry eyes, say, haughty eyes, and a lying tongue he will despise. But they, in fact, I didn't even ask him. I thought Mark would be in here and I could point at him and laugh. But he, oh, Mark is here. I, I was expecting him to see him up here. So no, I won't do that, but if you don't know that song, you don't need to. It's fine. Um, but today we're going to look at haughty eyes. Yeah, this, that's the right tune. So what they are, why God hates them, and what are we going to do about it? What they are, what are haughty eyes, why does God hate these eyes, and then what are we going to do? How are we going to respond to, to this? Um, so, before we do that, oops, stay right here. Before we do that, I want to look at where this verse comes from. We want to give it a little bit of context. And it comes from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is part of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Wisdom literature consists of three books, Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. If you were to personify each of the three books of of wisdom literature in the Bible, uh, Proverbs would be the young, brilliant teacher, Uh, Job would be the weathered old man, and Ecclesiastes would be the middle-aged cynic. And they all have something to contribute to the wisdom literature of Scripture and ultimately to to how the world works, answering the question, how does this world work and how do you live well in the world? 
Those are just what these books are trying to answer, and they begin by looking at the wisdom of God. Now, the wisdom of God, Proverbs 1 begins by saying that uh, the fear of the Lord is a foundation of knowledge, and but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this is all based off of the fear of the Lord. Based in the fear of the Lord, we, we begin to learn what His wisdom is and live out it. Live it out in our, in our life. So in this context, in this, in this context of asking, what is wisdom? What does it mean? What does it look like to live a good life? To do well in the world? Proverbs 6 speaks, and it speaks in the, in the language of a, of a father or a mother speaking to their children. Now the audience for Proverbs is often thought of as like a, an audience in bloom, an audience on the cusp of adulthood that needs instruction, that needs wisdom to learn how to, to live well. If you were, some of you were, at the youth gathering we had a couple weeks ago, we've already looked at this passage, so you're a little bit more familiar with it than everybody else. But the passage is in Proverbs 6. And I forgot to change it to widescreen version, so we're going to be a little smaller today. That's okay. I'll read it. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven things which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans and feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. These seven things God hates. Notice in 17 and 18, it goes from head to toe. Really, it covers every physical attribute and associates it with an action or with an attitude or, or a characteristic. Haughty eyes, tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil. These are all ways that the author is is is, is, is using a body part to, to describe a, a, a behavior that, that, that God just simply hates. And then it, it culminates in one who spreads strife among brothers. That's what God really hates. This is, a, this is an ancient form of poetry or, or parallelism where, where it builds. You know, there are three things, no, four. If you go to Proverbs 30, there's four or five different examples of of it jumping from three things, no, four, just to get to the point of the, the last one. Here it's one who spreads strife among brothers, and, and there's a whole lot we could say about that, but today we're going to look at the first one, haughty eyes. What are they? In the, in the Hebrew where this is originally written, it, haughty is actually not the word proud, or not the word arrogant or haughty. It's actually the word elevated, the word Lifted up, and so we sang the song. We lift, be lifted up. That's that's the word haughty, but it's it's in the sense of I I exalt you, I lift you high. In in the book of Genesis, where it's talking about the ark, it says that the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. There's a vertical dimension to this word haughty. That's translated as haughty here. Elsewhere, where I, where it says in in throughout scripture, I will exalt the Lord. That's the same word. It's used in a different way. But I will, I will lift high. I will exalt the Lord. I will lift Him up. The ark was lifted up in the waters, high above the earth. That's the same word as haughty eyes. Elevated 
eyes to where you see yourself as above other people. You see yourself as superior to others for, for, one, for one reason or another. There's, there's something in us that's a part of fallen human nature that, that, that wants to see yourself, perceive yourself, do anything you can to think of yourself as better than other people. And if you, if you can't find a way to make yourself better than other people, then, then now they're your enemy. In, um, in the book Mere Christianity, written by C.S. Lewis 50 or 60 years ago, he writes this helpful quote. He just says, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And that's, that's what haughty eyes do. That's what pride ultimately does. It puts you at the ceiling to where the only thing you can do is look down and feel superior and feel better and feel more important or, or just f- some aspect of superior to where you, you actually close yourself off to God. In the, in the moment that pride manifests, you close yourself off to the work of God because you can't look up. You are now God. In this moment, in, this, in, the, in your mind, you are now on top. And the only thing you can do is look down. God is above you, but you can't see him. You can't touch him. He is removed from the... You've put yourself in the place of God. That's how pride operates. We see this in, um, in Satan. Uh, there's this old English poem called Paradise Lost, written by this guy named John Milton. He's one of the the first English poets of the the 18th century. And he describes Satan in in this really eloquent language. Um, And he he basically describes the fall of man, the fall of Satan, the subsequent fall of man, and everything that came about through uh, this, this... early pre-creation, or not pre-creation, but pre-human existence story. And, and in that, this is a picture uh, from a couple hundred years ago, a drawing of the fall of Lucifer. And in, in this poem, it's actually really hard to read because it's written in like way, way old English. So if you ever try to read it, it's a daunting task. I only, I've only gotten a few... Uh, Oh yeah, it's even older. Can I, can I share something? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to try to get into that. Something that John Milton, kind of a, a, a phrase that he gives to Satan to, to embody this, this spirit of pride. He says, he, this is quoting Lucifer from this poem. He says, it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. That's the spirit 
of, of, of pride that manifests itself in Satan because he's, he's still seeing himself as, a, as superior, even being cast from heaven to hell. He still sees, oh, it's better to, to reign here. I still have people that I look down. I still see myself as on top, even though we know in the reality of, of the vertical dimension, he's the lowest spot he could be. He still lives in, in the delusion that he's on top. And they, it, he could say it's better to, to, to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. That arrogant, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, and and uh, and so here here are some some synonyms. Pat mentioned arrogance, the way the message translates it. Synonyms for for haughty or for proud, arrogant, self-conceited, boastful, insolent, vainglorious, vain, egotistical, cocky, self-important, and hubris. This word I ran into as I was looking into this whole idea. Hubris actually it. In the in the Septuagint, so there's the there's the Hebrew Bible that was the where, where the word haughty comes in, or where the high lifted up eyes. The Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible is the Septuagint, and it translates it the word hubris. In ancient Greek mythology, hubris is this really epic word that means above the gods. It's the same idea with with Satan seeing himself as on top with the, the way that pride sees itself as on top. There's a story in, um, in ancient Greek mythology where, where this woman who's a daughter of a king, her name is Niobe, and she has 14 kids. And she thinks she's so powerful and so important as she has all these, all these kids that they're at the festival of this goddess named Leto. And everyone's celebrating the goddess and what, what she's done. And, and Niobe stands up and says, I am, I am better than Leto. So this is an example of above the gods, of seeing yourself as on top, of, of finding everything in your life that would, that would give you an advantage, everything that would put you above other people to where now you are the demigod of, of your life and you see yourself as on top, a defiance against the gods, and excessive pride. Proverbs talks a lot about this. And, and then it, one, one verse that we may be familiar with is where it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Pride goes before the fall is the common way we hear it. Um, but I want to point out again the, the vertical dimension. So pride, you, is, you, you feel lifted up. You feel superior, you feel on top, and what happens is pride goes before destruction. There's a fall that happens. You're, you're lifted up on this, on this fake pedestal that's really a, a delusion, really a pretense that lifts you up above others because there's, there's no truth to that. But that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the nature of pride. And then, and then you fall because that's the reality that comes from there. So there's there's a couple dimensions of pride that I want to look at this morning. Uh, so we'll look at competition, comparison, and uh, judgment. The ways that competition, comparison, and judgmental spirit all can find their way into our lives. It's easy to, to, to recognize pride in somebody else, but it's a lot harder to recognize it in ourselves. Another thing that, that Lewis says in his little chapter on pride in mere Christianity, it says, the more that you hate pride in others, the more it has a hold in your own life. 
So, I mean, it's pretty easy to notice an arrogant person who's, who's outwardly really putting themselves on top or, or, or being the center of attention. It's like, oh, I just can't stand that. Well, that, there's a good indicator, if we, if we were to look inside, that there's, there's a pretty strong foothold that pride has in our own life to be able to, to, to despise it in, a, in the next person. So, so competition. That's, that's, the, that's the avenue that competition, um, that's the way that, that pride makes itself known in, comp- in, in, the, in the competitive spirit. I'll, actually, I have the quote right here. I'm going to read it because I may have not quoted it right. The more pride you have, the more you dislike pride in others. Each person's pride is in competition with everybody else's pride. That's, that's just the, the back and forth. Comparison... Uh, I'll just I'll read another quote because it fits in. Comparison. Lewis says this: Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or, or clever or good-looking, they, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. So, if we were to take a moment and look inside to, to do the hard work of self-reflection, uh, which, which, which is heavy lifting in the, in the spirit, heavy lifting, because it's so easy to, to see this in other people. And what we want to do this morning is, is take a little bit of time and look inside and say, wait, it's not about whether or not this is a this is a thing, but it's where, at what in what area of my life, in my spiritual life, in my relationships, in my workplace relationship, in my family, in what areas do I allow pride to get the better hand, to to get the foothold, to really uh, take me down this path of of self conceit, to where I, I do everything I can to elevate myself above the situation, to to be innocent if you will, a way that, for, for me, that I've just been reflecting on is, uh, is what I would just call shy pride. Where, shy pride. Where, where I, I want to I try to uh, act introverted. Or maybe, maybe I've, I've judged somebody, and rather than wanting to talk to them or go out of my way to, to have a conversation, I've subtly, not even want to think about it, said to myself, I'm better than that person. And so I'm going to act shy. I'm going to act introverted so I don't have to talk to them. Because if, because I don't want to talk to them because I've already judged them. I already feel superior to them. And this is all very subtle, very not, just not, just not, um, this is, this aren't, these aren't thoughts that are well-formed. In our mind, these aren't thoughts that, that we can articulate very easily, but they're but they're invasive in our in our spiritual life and in our uh, just in our relationships in our everyday life, where where we want to we want to see ourselves as better, we want to see ourselves as innocent. Whether when there's an argument in the home or anywhere, I, I want to try to find a way to where I win. I want to try to find a way to where I, I don't like to lose competition fuels pride because pride loves power. 
Pride loves to be on top. Pride loves to have power. And so the more I can feel like I'm winning, I can have a, a lust even for, for, for being innocent, being on top, because humility goes low and admits fall. But pride goes high and says, no, I'm innocent. No, no, no you, didn't, you misheard me. You misunderstood me. I didn't actually say that. I said this, and I'm going to try to find a way to weasel my way to, to be innocent, to be on top, because pride elevates itself. Obvious and not so obvious ways uh, that pride manifests itself. So why does God hate pride? One of the, one of the easy ways to see it is just that it's, it's sin. And it's, anti, it's an anti-God state of mind. Uh, Proverbs, again, just staying within the book, it says this, Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, is sin. Elsewhere in Scripture it says, You, Lord, are a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That is a posture of looking up, of humility, to say, No, you lead my way. Here it's saying haughty eyes and a proud heart. That's the lamp of the wicked. You're lighting your own path. You're determining what's right and what's wrong in the situation. The lamp of the wicked is sin because it's an anti-God, an independent, an autonomous, I am sufficient in and of myself mentality that uh, sneaks its way into our life. So there's a few other ways, a few other reasons they came up with as far as why God hates this thing. Uh, so pride resists submission to authority, which is necessary to know God and to have a, spe- uh, a healthy spiritual life. Pride resists submission to authority because it sees itself as on top. Any form of, um, any form of submission is a lowering. I mean, there is, there is a vertical dimension that's always at work in the, in, in the way that we live and the comparisons that we make between ourselves and the next person. Pride resists submission to any form of authority. That's why there's struggles in the workplace with bosses. That's why there's struggles in the, in the, in the church with spiritual pastors and, and leaders because pride resists any form of submission because submission feels like weakness and weakness is not, is not something that pride is fond of. And yet it's necessary to know God to submit to authority. The next thing, pride prevents you from confessing sin. Pride prevents you from confessing sin because, like I said, it, it tries... Now, I'm, I'm, I'm depersonalizing this right now. Pride isn't this other thing. Pride is, is what's happening in our own hearts. This isn't this thing that's from without that's, that's having its way on us. There is demonic influence that, that pride... Uh, that, 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 that from without demonic influence can affect the pride that's already there, but there's already pride happening in us and we need to own it and not say, oh, that's, that's the devil or oh, that's, that's this other thing. No, it's like, oh, this is in me and I need to deal with it and I need to look at it. Pride prevents you from confessing sin. Pride looks for a way to justify sin, to convince yourself and others that you are innocent. So when there is sin, pride wants to justify it, wants to explain it, wants to make it okay. Um, this is another way, pride, when you're in the middle of sin, whether it's stealing, cheating, lying, deceiving, lusting, arguing, whatever it is, you numb yourself 
to the presence of God because to the, you numb yourself to the presence of God because pride can't look up. And so you're in the middle of sin. There's this, there's this, op, there's this opportunity to recognize it, to confess it, to repent, to go low and to say, God, I need your help. I need you to intervene right now. But the pride in you does not want to recognize God's presence and your need for God's help. So it numbs, numbs yourself. I mean, I think we can all relate to this. You numb yourself to God's presence. You numb yourself to the work of the Spirit because you're on top. You, you don't want to look up. You don't want to recognize your need for Him. You want to, you, it's, it's a, maybe it's an after-the-fact thing. Like, okay, God, I recognize in that moment there was sin and, okay, I repent. But in the middle of it, in the middle of it, we want to we want to be on top. We want to be the dictator of our own reality, and we can't look up. This is this is. I'm just trying to explain the way that pride works itself out, and on a very personal level, in our own life. A few other things: the independent spirit. I don't need others. I don't. I can't receive help. I am self-sufficient. That, that's the way that pride works itself into your life. Because the reality is we need each other. We are not an island. We need the body, especially in the church. This is a sneaky way that pride sneaks into the church. Is that somehow I'm independent of any need for any help, any assistance, any recognition of my own areas where I lack. That's the way, that's a way that pride works. Spiritual pride, this is a serious issue for the church, is the spiritual pride that would give me some sort of platform to stand on, as if, oh, I'm more spiritual, I'm, I'm holier, I obey God's commandments more than the next man, so then I'm elevating myself, and now I'm better. I've, kept, I've done better at keeping the, the word of God, so now I have a reason to, be, I, I can judge you because I'm better than you. That's not true, but that's something that's very, invasive in the spiritual life of the church that would give us a reason to think that, that there's something that we have in and of ourselves that we've earned. Not the grace of God given to us in Jesus, but something that we've earned by our own merit that would elevate ourselves above somebody else. That would allow us to rightfully judge or condemn or, or recognize uh, our own superiority over somebody else. Which is not true. So, uh, pride is a heart condition that needs to be resisted on the behavioral level and solved at the identity level. Resisted on the behavioral level, recognizing it when it's at work and saying, Father, help me. And then solved on the identity level where we recognize that in the very bottom of our hearts, there's a constant need for Jesus. We can, we can kind of segment our spiritual reality that says, well, I needed you at salvation and now I'm getting better at this thing and I'm, I'm starting to sin less and I'm starting to recognize you at work and so now I am I, I'm, 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 I'm good. And it, 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 breaks the, it breaks our spiritual life apart rather than recognizing that at every moment from the point of repentance Onward, I'm in a constant dependence on the Spirit of God at work in my life. I'm in a constant dependence on the grace of God to sustain me, to give me energy, to give me faith to believe. I'm in a constant dependence 
on the Holy Spirit to, to awaken my spirit at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day to praise Him for what He's done. Um, we live in a constant dependence on the Holy Spirit and a constant submission to the Lordship of Jesus. And pride doesn't want to recognize that reality. So the, the, the way that pride is solved on an identity level is simply to recognize that, that what we have, everything that we have is, is received as a gift. We, what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, what do you have that you have not received? That has not been given to you. Everything that we have is, is, is a gift. And, uh, and there's, there's a resolution to the issue, to the cancer of pride in our life when we recognize that in our very identity, we're beloved of God, not because of anything that we've done, not because of anything that we've earned, but simply because He loves us with a love that, that, that cannot be bought, that cannot be earned, that cannot be lost, because that's who He is. And He hates it. He hates it when we try to find a way to, to act like we've earned it. And that's what, that's what pride wants to do. It wants to find a way to, to be self-sufficient. And it's not. You're not. Uh, yep. So in Luke 6, it says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This, this is, just put this as an example. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when pride is in the heart, we're going to say things that are just proud, they are just arrogant. But we all know that we don't always say the things that we think. We don't always say, I mean, this is, this is the subtlety of pride. I don't say everything that I think, and if I did, I'd be in a much worse place in my relationships with just about everybody. Because what's in my heart, I can, I can keep concealed, I can keep hidden. Often, there's, there's, there's bits and pieces of it that come out in my words and in my language, but... But we want to resolve, we want to get to the bottom of the heart condition and not just, not just change behavior modification to try to act like we're good. We want to recognize our need for God in, in the deepest parts of our heart. Let's see. Yeah, asking, where do I do that? Even on our best days, there's, 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 Places where, where pride, where haughty eyes, is find find a way to 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 get into our thinking, to get into our our perception of people, of ourselves, of God, of, of what we've earned, and and uh, we want to recognize, we want to take a little self assessment and invite God to to speak, to show us, to pinpoint the areas of our life where. Uh, where pride has, has gotten a foothold, and then to just take the opportunity to repent of those things and turn from Him and to recognize our need for Him. First, we want to look at, so you can just begin that, or you're probably already doing that if you have a pulse. Uh, but, but we want to first look at Jesus. We want to look at the example of Jesus, and, and in asking, what are we going to do about the thing that God hates that we find in ourselves? What are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond? Jesus says this in the Beatitudes. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this is NASB 
more literal translation, the NLT, or maybe Pat has that message that it says, blessed are those who are poor and recognize their need for Him. Poor in spirit is simply recognizing spiritually, I am utterly dependent on you, God. My, I'm spiritually poor and depraved and needing constantly your spirit, your presence, your work in my life. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a, an aspect of humility to be poor in spirit. A couple chapters later in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus is, is teaching his disciples and he, and he says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus was born into the lowliest of conditions and lived a perfect life of complete obedience to God, marked by peace, justice, compassion, humility. And he invites us to follow him on this narrow way of discipleship and of being formed into his image. And he invites us to take his yoke upon us and to learn from him who is gentle and humble in heart to step out of the, the, the current that pride wants to have us in, the, the current even of our culture that is constantly comparing and constantly um, in competition with one another for the better house, the better car, the better uh, life, the better kids. My kids are better than you. There's, there's, there's a never-ending stream of thought that comes from the avenue of pride. Jesus is inviting us to step out of the, the rat race, if you will, the, the, the competitive, comparison, judgmental, prideful avenue or road and onto the, the, the narrow road where we find rest for our souls, where we find rest in knowing that we are loved, that we are cherished, that we are forgiven, that we are reconciled to the one who created us and, and has destined us to live in relationship with him. As you will find rest for your souls as you learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. That's my nature. I'm gentle and humble. So learn from me. There's, there's, two, there's two aspects of the way that pride manifests itself that we want to recognize really quickly. The, the individual aspect and the corporate aspects. We hopefully have already begun to think about individually, how, how am I seeing pride working in my own life? Corporately, what about in the church? What about as, as a church, how do we see that, and really it is, a, a power uh, the, the way that Paul talks about principalities and powers, how do we see the, the power of pride manifesting itself in our, in our own church, in our own assembly? Um, to answer those, we just want to look at, in closing, this, this couple of verses in Philippians chapter 2. So I'm just going to read it. It's uh, 11 verses from Philippians 2. It says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. 
Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is high above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So where haughty eyes, uh, proud eyes, arrogant eyes want to make you allow you to look down on others, to be in the to live in a dependence on Jesus, uh, your eyes are up. Your eyes are on Jesus. So the question is like, where is your gaze? What are you looking at? What direction, directionally, vertically, where are you looking? We like this last, and it's so true, this last portion of this of the scripture that says, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under there. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When we read this chunk of Philippians 2, we want we that, that's the that's the climax. But there's a challenge here for every one of us where he says, have this attitude, have this mind in yourselves, which is also in Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. Earlier, Just a verse earlier, it says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Paul's describing the way of Jesus who humbled himself. He continued in every opportunity he had, he humbled himself because he, he wasn't concerned about his own reputation. He wasn't concerned about his own image. He knew wh- who he was. He knew he had a, he had a, a and a, he had a, a humility about him that, that didn't lack any confidence. It wasn't a humility that was empty and really false in the sense that it was always trying to earn approval and recognition. It was a humility that was fully confident in himself, but not um, not needing to to find a way to leverage his own message above the competition. Uh, we we see in Jesus the perfect example of humility that he invites us into to where he was able to treat others as more important than himself, to where he gave himself, he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross out of the place of love for us. We have an invitation here, a difficult challenge, really, that I'm hoping, I'm praying that the Spirit would stir in you, the challenge to treat one another as more important than yourself. This is not a natural way of thinking. This is a supernatural work of the Spirit that would allow you to treat others as more important than yourself. 
that, that, that can only be, that can only come about through the place of Christ-like humility and love and, and, and identity and, uh, and the uprooting of pride. Yeah. So I'm just going to take a few moments and, and pray through these things and, and, and just ask God to, to show us the, the areas in our own life where, where this is at work and, and simply repent of this way of thinking that's easily gotten a foothold in our life. Father God, we thank you that you are perfect, that you are holy, that you are righteous. God, we ask right now that by your Spirit you would uh, follow through on the work that you've already been doing in our hearts this service uh, and, and, and begin to pinpoint the areas of pride in our life. If there needs to be reconciliation between relationships, even between spouses or uh, siblings or uh, parents, Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to, to confess the sin of pride, the sin of feeling superior, that we recognize that the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We have no reason to feel superior to anybody else. The only boast that we have is in what you've done for us on the cross. We boast in the cross that while we were yet sinners, you died for us that we could know you. Father, we receive the disposition of Jesus that is gentle and humble in heart. We pray that by your Spirit you would work that into us, that you would form us into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Father, you would have your way in this area. That we repent of of anything that has come to our minds, anything that's rise to the surface as we explore this idea of pride, we repent of it. We turn from it. We recognize it as uh, evil. We recognize it as sin. And we recognize our dependence on you, God. Father, we thank you that you are full of love, that you are full of mercy, and you're, full, you're loving enough to, to, to tell us the things that you hate so that we would recognize in ourselves by your Spirit and, and uh, depend on you to, to uproot it and speak identity into us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to have prayer up in the front. Uh, you know, if, if God has stirred you and you feel like there's, there's more to be un done, there's more to be reworked, there's more to be uprooted in your life, please come and receive prayer. That's, that's a huge uh, ministry, it's a huge responsibility that you have to, to respond to the Spirit that's at work in your life. Otherwise, come back next week as Pastor Mark teaches, continues the series of What God Hates, and... Uh, and otherwise you're dismissed. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.